Well, I was I was thinking about this morning um, having my family here and my wife here, and I was thinking about it was about ten years ago, almost eleven years ago, uh, January, the winter of two thousand seven, January twelfth to be exact. My wife and I were living in uh, our first owned residence. Our first owned residence. It was a condominium in Springfield, Missouri, and we we're moving into that condo in what turned out to be one of the worst. Uh, ice storms in that region's history. Now, do y'all get blizzards or ice storms out here? Both. Blizzards, both? Oh, no ice storms, okay. Yeah. Um, so in Springfield, you know, it's in that Ozark Plateau where it's not quite cold enough to get a lot of snow, not quite hot enough to get a lot of rain. They're right in that where they can get a lot of ice storms. And January 2007 was a doozy. Between January 12th 14th, there was three waves of sleet and freezing rain that came through and hit Springfield and the surrounding communities, loading trees with up to about one and a half inches of ice, causing many, many, many branches to snap and fall under the weight of the ice. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, in Springfield, a lot, probably most power lines were above ground and susceptible to those falling branches. All told, some 200,000 people lost power, uh, some up to two weeks, in fact, before having their power restored. I remember that first night feeling fortunate as we moved in some of our stuff to that new place because we had power in our new place, but the old place did not have power. Um, those feelings of joy quickly faded because about a day or two later, <clears throat> gone. Power was gone, right? Now there's one thing that sticks with me, remembering that time, it was just cold. I mean, obviously, right? Freezing rain, turning to ice, cold, obviously. And it was just so cold. I remember um, in our condo, it was so cold we could see our breath as we breathed. It was that cold in our place. And we had actually a wood-burning fireplace in our condo, but you know, it was the city. We didn't have wood to burn. So that first night after losing the power, we went out in search of some wood to burn, hoping to stay warm that night. So we got in the car and drove to, I think it was a Lowe's that was across the street, hoping that maybe I could get a little scrap wood to burn to keep us warm. So I remember asking an employee if we could look, or if I could look around a little bit to get some scrap wood. So I was kind of wandering around, searching through some piles, you know, trying to pull something out that I could burn. And all of a sudden, I remember someone barked at me, hey, what are you doing? And I kind of sheepishly responded, like, you know, just, just trying to get some wood to burn, to stay warm, you know? And I kind of just, he kind of scared me off. So I kind of just grabbed what I had and slunk back to my car and, you know, headed for the exit. So after that, um, we got back in the car and we drove to our church at the time. And we were attending this Baptist church um, in Springfield. It was a big Baptist church and they still had power actually. And it was open and there was people inside so I went in and I walked around and there was people out, people, uh, it was a big church. They had, you know, they had a big sanctuary, gymnasium, lots of classrooms. So I walked in, I was walking around, there's people there, <coughs> excuse me, and, 
you know, I walked in, I think I used a restroom or something, and and it's like no one noticed me, right? And uh, I really didn't know what to do. I was unsure of what to do, unsure of who to ask, unsure if I was even welcome. And I remember just walking around the church, hoping, I mean really praying that someone would stop and say something, say anything. Instead, I just walked around in this feeling of helplessness, this feeling of just desperation. Unsure of what to do, unsure of how to get help. Knowing that the small bits of wood I had in my trunk would not be enough to get us through the night. And I exited the church as invisibly as I came in, no one apparently noticing enough to stop me. And I came back to the car, trying to hold down those feelings of desperation I had inside. Worrying about what we we're going to do that night, how we we're going to stay warm, really what to do next. You know, obviously, we survived, because we're here tonight, we're here today, right? We didn't die, we didn't freeze to death, we're here. But as I think back on that story, what really sticks with me is those feelings of desperation. And I guess that makes sense because from what I, what I understand is, is uh, memories have a more, memories tend to stick with us longer if they're attached to strong feelings of emotion. Now, we were rather fortunate in this whole scenario. We only lost power for four days. And as I mentioned, I knew people who had lost power for two weeks in total. I mean, can you imagine going without power for two weeks? Probably some of you can, but for, for me it was rough, and it would be rough to not have power for two weeks. And I think it was the second or third day, we were able to track down some actual firewood. I remember we loaded up in the back of our little sedan in the trunk, and we were able to stay warm during those cold nights. We had, we had this little mat that we laid out in front of the living room floor, and we lay, Karina and I, sleep there at night, and our dog would curl up at our feet, trying to stay warm. But we survived. Um, but it, that, those memories, though, that, and more so those memories, that feeling of desperation, I, I can still remember those feelings in my, in my mind and in my body. And I wonder, can I wonder if you can think of a time in your life where you, you can remember sort of those same feelings of desperation, that you felt those same feelings. You know, a time in your life where you felt desperate for hope or relief. You know, a time where you felt utterly hopeless or desperate in your situation. You know, maybe, it was a, maybe it was a conflict in your family when you were a child, or maybe it was when you yourself had kids. Challenge with your children, a health challenge perhaps. Maybe it was a crisis of health of your own or of a loved one. Maybe it was a financial emergency at, at home or at work or you know, on the farm. Whatever it is or whatever it was, I bet if we took a moment, we could remember a time in ourselves that we felt that same feeling of desperation. And more, we could probably remember those feelings those feelings of desperation and helplessness. Like me, I imagine you were probably unsure of what to do next, how to get help, 
just hoping that someone, anyone, would reach out and help. You know, think about the story from our reading today, from the book of Mark. Here was a woman who had been sick for some time, 12 years. Can you imagine being sick for 12 years? She had seen anyone and everyone to the point that she was financially ruined. And worse, not only was she financially ruined, but she was isolated and alone because her flow of blood, her hemorrhage, made her ritually impure, meaning she could not be around people. So her just being out in public, her just being around this crowd of people was already breaking the rules. She was already taking a risk. But, and worse so, not only was she all around, allowed to be around people, but she wasn't allowed to touch people because in that day, if you touch someone when you were impure, you then transferred your impurity to that person. But she just wanted someone to notice her. So she does, what does she do? She reaches out, right? She grabs Jesus' cloak, his garment, whatever it was. And she knows she shouldn't have done it. But she does it anyway. She done something very taboo, very against the rules. So when Jesus asks, who just touched me? It's no wonder she comes before him and throws herself at his feet, saying, in fear and trembling, it was me. Please forgive me, right? But the response she got wasn't the response she was expecting. Rather than receiving anger and condemnation, she was instead given love and compassion. It's really a wonderful healing story of Jesus. But what's so interesting, it's this healing story of Jesus packed in the middle of another story of Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. And it's really interesting. Like, we should think about this. We read, we read our Bibles, right? We read the Gospel, the book of Mark, and we read the story about Jesus going to heal Jairus' daughter. And he's interrupted by this unnamed woman who he heals. And then he continues on to heal Jairus' daughter. And we kind of just see that and think about, oh, that's interesting. But I think something we should think about is that the fact that Mark, the writer of this gospel, the writer of these stories, he had a choice what he put in his story as he was telling the story of Jesus. And he chose to include these two stories, especially this story about Jesus stopping to heal this woman, because he wanted to tell us, as readers of his gospel, he wanted to tell us something about who Jesus was. He wanted to tell us something about the character of Jesus. Yes, he wanted to know that he wanted us to know that Jesus has the power and the authority to heal people. But he also wanted to know that Jesus was a compassionate, loving person. That's why, that's why, you know, there are many people today who want to just count out the Bible, right, and say it's irrelevant, it's dated. I believe the Bible still matters because these stories still have relevance to our time and to our life and to the way we live our lives. So why is this story here? Because Mark is trying to tell us something about who Jesus is, about Jesus' character, and what makes Jesus so amazing. 
So again, Jesus was on the way to heal Jairus' daughter. He was busy, right? I mean, we are so busy today. We can almost understand what it means to say, hey, you know, I'm busy right now. I can't help you. I can't tell you how many times I'm driving and I see someone broken down on the side of the road or I see someone holding a sign saying I need help and I think to myself, I'm busy. I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm busy, right? We're busy people. We have a lot going on. But Jesus stops. And we can understand if she said, hey, I'm too busy, or hey, you know, I don't got time for you today, or I don't have the energy, or really, more importantly, we would understand if she had said, you know, I'm sorry, woman, you are not worthy of my time. But let's be honest, Jairus and this, this woman were not on the same plane Jairus was a wealthy, esteemed, powerful synagogue ruler. I mean, he was the top echelon of people in society. This woman was poor, she was vulnerable, and worst of all, she was impure. These were not equal people. The crowd would not have been the least bit surprised if Jesus had simply walked on by. I mean, that's what they expected to say, who is this woman touching me? Get off me. Leave me alone. I got, a, I got more important things to do than you. But Jesus, he stops. And the crowd, like they were surprised that he stopped. And he addressed this woman and treated her because not only had she broken the rules by touching a man, again, taboo for a woman in that society, not only she broken that rule, but she also was herself, like we said, impure. She shouldn't be touching anybody. She shouldn't be near people. But Jesus, and I think that would make a good sermon in itself, right? Those two words, but Jesus. Those two words could change, could change our world, right? Name, name anything. Name any problem in our society. Any problem in our world, just, just but Jesus. What would Jesus have to say? But Jesus in this situation, and as we saw earlier in Mark's gospel, had no problems regularly breaking so-called laws to show love and compassion. He healed a leper a couple chapters earlier, someone he should not have touched. He healed the paralytic. And worse, he forgave him his sins. You remember that story of Jesus in a house with people? And his friends lower him down to the ceiling. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And the people there are aghast. Who is this guy who thinks he has the power to forgive sins? And Jesus says, oh, you're also healed. There's that story. And then the last time I was here, if you remember, there's the story of when Jesus healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. You know, I think if there's one thing we see again and again throughout the scriptures, it's Jesus throwing aside, I mean, just throwing aside rules and regulations of his society in order to show people love and compassion. I want to say that again. We see this again and again throughout the scriptures. Jesus throws aside the rules and regulations of his society in order to show people love and compassion. 
And we see it, of course, here in this encounter with this woman, this desperate woman, desperate, who broke every rule in the book in order to seek some healing. And he responded, Jesus responded not with condemnation, but instead with love and compassion. You know, I'm, I've been thinking about this story, and I've been thinking about uh, this because in the past few weeks, there's been a lot of conversation nationally about what should come first, upholding the law or acting out of compassion, with leaders on both sides quoting Bible verses to support their opinion. You know, this, of course, has been in response to the stories of undocumented migrants and asylum seekers attempting to enter our country. Many of these people being desperate to escape violence, destitution, and poverty in their own countries. Now let me pause here and say, I know, I know, talking about politics in the pulpit is always a risky proposition for any pastor. But I couldn't help, as I read the story, I couldn't help but thinking about this story through the lens of our wider context about these stories I kept hearing about these people coming to our country desperate for hope. And as I thought about the story, as I thought about the stories of these people, I just couldn't help but realizing that the treatment these two different people groups have received have been very different. I remembered how Jesus disregarded rules and regulations in order to act out of love and compassion. I remembered how Jesus put the needs of the marginalized and vulnerable before the needs of the elite and powerful. I mean, literally he does that in this story of Jairus' daughter. So much so that when Jairus' daughter, he gets there, she's dead because he has waited to respond to that need. And I thought about how most shocking of all, most appalling to that society is that he elevated this woman, the least and the lowly, he elevated her to equal status as Jairus' daughter, the wealthy and elite. This woman with a flow of blood, with no business being in the same circle as Jairus and his family. Literally, she wasn't even supposed to be around people. But what does Jesus do? What does he do after he heals her? Verse 32, let me read it for us again. He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, he didn't say woman, he didn't say scum, he didn't say lesser person, he said daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. Go in peace, daughter, and be healed of your disease. Powerful words. Jesus had elevated this woman's status from least and lowly, marginalized, outcast to being a daughter, equal in standing to Jairus' daughter, equal to someone who's wealthy, esteemed, and with authority. Jesus had brought her up through his own decision. As one commentator says, Jesus' example in this story makes it clear 
that those who are most deserving of our attention are the least and the lonely among us. I believe the message of Jesus is powerful because it challenges us. I mean, it challenges us to reconsider our own assumptions. It challenges us and it overturns our expectations of who is the most deserving of our help. I mean, we all do it, right? We all look at people and say, oh, you know, I'd like to help them, but they don't really deserve my help. This people, these people, they're, they're so clean-cut and well-deserving, they deserve my help. But Jesus overturns those expectations. And it confronts us. Jesus' message confronts us with a new perspective that all are equal in the eyes of Jesus. And most troubling of all, I think, most troubling to our uh, securely held beliefs and feelings is Jesus wrecks our norms by demanding that we place love and compassion ahead of so-called law and order. It's hard that Jesus does this. You know, I was thinking about another story of Jesus, right? Where Jesus is asked by a legal scholar, an expert in the law, what is the greatest commandment? We know this. What does he say? Say it with me. Thou shalt love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And what's the second commandment? Love our neighbor as ourself, right? And Jesus says, on these, on these two commandments, everything is based. All the law, all the prophets, on loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and with loving our neighbor as ourself. Love of God, love of neighbor, the foundation of the law. So as I interpret that, any law which disregards love of God or love of neighbor isn't God's law. Let me say that again. I, I believe that from Jesus' own words, that any law which doesn't, which disregards love of God or love of neighbor is not God's law. Because in the end, I just can't help coming back to the story of this desperate woman. How grateful she must have been that Jesus showed her the love and compassion. You know, I think of this woman, I think of my own time of feelings of desperation. How when I was wandering around that church, how I wished someone would have just reached out and said, Hey, I see you here. What can I do? How can I help you? Show me a little bit of love and compassion. And more so, I think about as us as followers of Jesus. When we encounter someone in need of love and compassion, whether in our family, in our community, even in our nation, I pray that we will show them the same love and compassion as Jesus showed to this woman. After all, as we sang this morning, I think it was a profound song to sing. Lord, make me a Christian. Make me a Christian in my heart. Not just in the words I say, not just in my title, not just in my profession. Make me a Christian in my heart. May that be our prayer today. May that be our prayer every day. God, make me a Christian 
Make me a way follower of Jesus in my heart.